Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Supernovus. Today I have Adam Coster from Chimera Labs. Hello. Yes. <laughs> uh, we are today. We're talking about exosomes. All the talk is about exosomes, and uh, we know that you guys had a lot of questions about exosomes. So do we. So we came together and uh, we wrote a few questions down that uh, we'd love to ask Adam. Is, is it okay if we ask you? Of course. A couple yeah. questions. Cool. Sweet. Uh, so I think the number one question on my mind or anyone else's mind is. Uh, we, we, we know exosomes, uh, I guess, I guess just to preface this, what are exosomes? Great question. Yeah. So exosomes are essentially 30 to 120 nanometer little bubbles of fat. Essentially you think about your body, it's composed of billions and billions of cells. Uh, we all learned that at one point or another for me, it was in fifth grade in, uh, you know, biology lab. Um, and we learned about plant cells and animal cells and the different organelles inside of the cell, and we have the DNA and the nucleus. But actually, the most important part, to a certain extent, of the cell, besides the nucleus that has the DNA inside of it, uh, is the, the surface. It's called the lipid bilayer, the phospholipid bilayer. And phospholipid is really just a fancy word for fat, to a certain extent. Okay, so this fat surrounds the cell. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yep. And it's crucially important to all processes of life, really. We think about fat in terms of us. Uh, you know, we use fat for protection. Right. And our cells use it for communication uh, and for a wide variety of, of cellular functions. So you think about what is an exosome. Uh, if you were to put one of those cells, right, that we talked about, that you have billions of in your body on a table, and it was the size of a quarter, metaphorically, the exosome next to it, you would not be able to see it because it's one one thousandth the size of the cell. Of oh, the cell, okay, got it. And so, how an exosome is different than a cell is important, but they're actually a lot alike. So, the exosome comes from the cell, right? It's produced and made by the cell. Um, so it's a part of the cell. It's a very small part of the cell. It, it, not in its in in, in its infancy or when it's formed, yeah. it's not like there's exosomes to a certain extent all the time swimming around inside of the cell, okay. right? The exosomes are made for specific functions. Theoretically, okay. that's what we think. We know now that originally they were thought to really just be a trash mechanism, right? We're going to take this little bubble that's like a copy of the cell without the nucleus, without all the important parts of the cell. We're going to pinch it off from the cell, basically just like removing trash, right? Like a, a trash uh, disposal. So, however, now as the research has grown and grown, it's been realized that exosomes actually form inside the cell. So mm. initially they get a little layer of fat, that lipid layer, yeah. right? And then when they leave the cell, they get a second layer. That's why it's called a lipid bilayer. Okay. So when they leave that cell, they get that extra fat to protect them? It, to a certain extent, yes. But okay. also that outside layer carries proteins on its surface. Mm -hmm. And those proteins are, to a certain extent, how it interacts with cells all over the body. Right? Okay. And so when we think about pharmaceutical drugs and, and the way that your body really works, especially with the immune system and things like antibodies and T cells, etc., um, it's because of the surface proteins on your cells, in your body, in all your different organs. Uh, the surface proteins and how they interact with your organs and cells yeah. really are kind of what dictate the cell's function to a certain extent. Right, like Communication, the cell does. Um, how they move around the body to a certain extent. So a lot of cellular function is dependent upon the proteins on the outside of the cell to a certain extent. 
Okay, gotcha. And so you have these exosomes, they leave the cell, they go all over, they have these proteins. Um, how do the exosomes themselves work? Is, is it the mm. proteins outside the exosomes that are, you know, doing the job or? Yeah, great question. So, Again, because when the exosome comes from cell in question, right, yes. it's important to understand that of all the billions of cells in your body, uh, pretty much all of them secrete and make exosomes. Okay, so, so any cell, a hair cell. A hair cell, a neuron, any cell in your body is releasing these little messages. I like to call them, you know, they're the little mail carriers of your body, right? Yeah. Originally once thought to be taking out the trash, but now it's seen that when they leave the cell, when they first form that little lipid layer inside the cell, they take up cargo, right? That little message. And that little recipe encapsulates what are called proteins, growth factors, fancy words like cytokines, but more importantly and most importantly, uh, microRNA and mRNA. Uh, and again, going back to fifth grade cell biology, we know that our DNA, right, which we get half of the chromosomes from our mom, half of the chromosomes from our dad, and that makes up who we are, right? Because those that DNA is expressed in the proteins that essentially build all of the cells in our body um, over time as we grow, right? And so when we think about these little protein messages, uh, and some of those are what are called growth factors, VEGF and a variety of growth factors like that. Mm. Those are growth factors that do what we just said. They stimulate growth, right? right? And a lot of them also uh, quiet inflammation. Uh, inflammation is a word that I'm, I'm sure the audience hears all the time. Right? <laughs> yeah. with, with pain, oh, yeah. with all sorts of, of conditions. The core of why we age and why we get older uh, is because of inflammation. Um, and so when we're born, when we're year zero, we have very little inflammation. We're pro-growth, which means we're growing like we've never grown before. Um, we're anti-inflammatory, right? So we, we combat inflammation. We're also very immunomodulatory uh, because our immune system's forming and changing in all sorts of positive ways to protect us and, and kind of grow that building immune system. Uh, we're anti-fibrotic. Uh, a lot of really beneficial things, but then as we grow and we hit about our 20s, we stop growing. Right, and so what we do is we we take the messages from essentially day zero. What does that mean? We take a tissue from a healthy live birth, we extract a very specific kind of stem cell, uh, and then we isolate those stem cells without any enzymes or serums uh, to essentially preserve how the cells were in existence when they were in the tissue. Right, when they were right? working. And exactly. Job. And they're still viable, right? We're extracting them and we're putting them in, in a, a clearly defined growth medium to essentially try to stimulate just like they would be inside your body, right? right. And so then we isolate those little messages, right? We remove all the cells, all the debris, everything else in the dish, and we resuspend just those little bubbles with the protein. Just the, the messages. Exactly. Okay. But encapsulated in that little layer, right? right. That little lipid bilayer. Uh, the and then we resuspend those in just a neutral buffer. We use normal saline. Right? Well, what's a what's a neutral buffer? Neutral buffer just means basically a liquid delivery vehicle oh, okay. that yes. isn't going to affect anything, anything else put in with it, right? So Got it. if okay. you put a drug in saline, it's yeah. going to be make it an aqueous solution so you can use it and right. have a vehicle to deliver it. Okay, that got sense? it. Yeah, that makes sense. So your body can use it. Yeah. Okay. And so again, it's it's really important to think about the conversation around what's called an MSC, 
right? This has been the buzz and the craze and all these patients that have gotten into regenerative medicine and wanting yeah. stem cells. MSC. What yes. does that stand for? They want the MSC, which is originally was termed the mesenchymal stem cell, yeah. right? Or mesenchymal stem cell. I'm sure the audience has heard uh, that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but unfortunately, there's a lot more science there than just going after a specific kind of stem cell. Your body already has... Uh, so many different kinds of stem cells. It has uh, iPSCs, induced pluripotent stem cells. It has HSCs or hematopoietic uh, stem cells that can be found in your bone marrow. Right. Um, and so it's really important to understand that st- the stem cell conversation is, is not new. Um, they've been doing hematopoietic uh, derived stem cell transplantation, allogeneic, meaning that those stem cells are coming from someone else right. um, for leukemia and other types of conditions for decades, right? So stem cell therapy is not brand new. It's been around uh, and FDA approved for certain indications for years. Now, all these organizations like biotech companies like ours are now getting into harnessing the power of, most of the time, an MSC. Sometimes iPSCs, but most of the, a lot of the work has been focused around a couple kinds of stem cells. So yeah. what's interesting, you said, what does MSC stand for? The guy that coined that term, a researcher named Arnold Kaplan, um, who worked in the guy's lab who originally discovered uh, these cells, um, urged the field to change the name uh, in 2017 to medicinal signaling cell. Okay. So why did he do that? He did that because... Even though these MSCs, as we're born, are responsible for the connective tissue lineage, so they are forming, you know, different cells and different tissues when we're born. As an adult, if we take MSCs from your bone marrow or from your fat, or let's say we get them uh, from a healthy live birth and we somehow manage to keep those cells alive and get them back in your body, uh, the research is now very clearly showing that they're not turning into other cell lineages like connective tissue or heart tissue or cartilage what they are doing is acting as drug factories right so mscs they really hang around in the vasculature of your your organs right you have uh what are called progenitor cells that really means precursor right comes before uh and they're they're warehouses they're manufacturing facilities just like chimera they make drugs okay and so what MSCs are really good at is responding to their environment, right? knowing what the environment kind of needs. Yeah. A lot of times that's just anti-inflammatory substances, proteins, and then releasing those. And a lot of that release mechanism yeah. is via the exosomes. With exosomes. Right? Okay, got it. So if people get these stem cell procedures, uh, what the stem cells are really doing, and a lot of people think that these stem cells are going and turning into a particular cell that they want more of. Correct. But in reality, these stem cells are sending messages to the environment. Um, and these messages, what exactly is it doing to the environment? Great question, yeah. So what we think it's doing and what the literature is showing that it, we think it's doing, uh, and as scientists, you know, we're the most skeptical humans you can find <laughs> on the planet. Even, oh, yeah. even when we have a study and we see a 100% treatment effect, you know, scientists will cringe at saying there's a 100% treatment effect. Right. It's just the nature of, of how scientists are. So, um, you know, the best way to answer that is, is really, again, going back to the inflammatory conversation. We want to quiet inflammation, right? Because without quieting that inflammation, we can't stimulate growth and stimulate immunomodulatory activity and all of the things that we were doing when we were born, right? Because babies aren't sick. 
babies for the most part don't get cancer outside of rare, you know, genetic predisposed cancers and glioblastomas that happen almost never and a very, very little in, in the broader scale of how many people are on the planet. So uh, when we're born, we are pro-growth and immunomodulatory and anti-inflammatory and all those things that we touched on earlier. So what an exosome, again, we have to clarify, we said earlier, you said, what does an exosome do when it's there? Yeah. Well, where did the exosome come from? Because that's what dictates what it's going to do. Interesting. Sense. Okay, so, so... So, it's a... I have to ask the question to answer your question. Right. Okay, so let me, let me... Let me try to put it into a metaphor. So, so you're saying how exosomes are like messengers, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like mailmen, you know? Mm-hmm. Mailman comes, knocks on your door, and says, hey, I got mail for you. Mm-hmm. It's got a message in it. Right. You're going you're gonna to open it, you know? Mission Impossible, you know? You're going to do this mission, right? Yep. Um, but what the mailman's message gives you depend on it depends on like the mailman's boss, right? So if it's like a if it's an MSC mailman who's going to give you a certain instruction, is that is that sort of yeah? That's a great if analogy. it's if it's a hair stem cell, mm-hmm. and it you know it'll send off a you know a hair stem cell mailman that might have a different message. Is that sort right? Of- so it's a tailored message, right? And okay. how does that message get tailored? It, it comes down to two things. It come down. It comes down to one, what we just identified, yeah. the cell that it came from. Right. So that's going to, to a lot of, uh, to a certain extent, dictate what's inside of the exosome cargo. Right. But also, what kind of environment was that cell in when it made the exosome? Because mm. its environment will also affect its cargo. Really. Okay. okay. So the cell, the source cell. And the environment of the source cell when yeah. it makes or releases the exosome into what we call the microenvironment, or really just the envi- micro, because we're talking about nanoscale type of right. cellular functions. Yeah. So again, patients' misconception around what stem cells are doing in the body um, really focuses around simplicity of well, if we want the MSCs, we want the drugs, not the drug factory. And if the MSC is the drug factory. We would much rather have mm. the drugs right. than the drug factory. Or we like to say, if the MSC is the honeybee, we would much rather want the honey, the right. exosome. Right. right. But but if the honeybee still gives off, does the honeybee still give off some honey? For, without a doubt, right? And so that is why there has been so much research and companies diving into uh, utilizing your own stem cells, right. right? However, there's a lot of limitations to that because... As we age, our cells age with us, right? And so right. a lot of a oh, lot of okay. uh, our cellular processes involve cells dying. Actually, mm-hmm. if cells inside our body don't turn over, yeah. these processes are dictated by what's called autophagy and metaphagy. Uh, cell turnover is crucially important to reducing inflammation in the body because when cells get to the point where they can't turn over. They start releasing very inflammatory things into the environment. Turnover means die. Okay, got yeah. It. It's a, it's called an apoptotic cascade or apoptosis. That's right. the technical term for cell death. So if they can't off themselves, then they do very bad things. To a certain extent, not all the time, but okay. sometimes, right? And that's why we see things like injury in the knee and aging causing inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about as we age, if our stem cells are aging with us, well. The ability to secrete the right drugs are really the most robust drugs that we need, delicious, right? And so when we talk about extracting MSCs from your bone marrow, you know, specifically bone marrow as we age, especially after the age of 40, 50, uh, the amount of MSCs in your bone marrow at those ages 
and as we grow, declines rapidly at a certain point, right? right? Because we talked about it earlier, after our twenties, we start dying. It's morbid, it right. blows, yeah. but it is what it is, right? And so, the amount and actual number of MSCs in adult bone marrow is minuscule when compared to fat. Right. If you actually look at your fat, there's there's a lot of stem cells in your fat. But again, the stem cells in your fat, the MSCs, are subject to the environmental exposures you've had, mm-hmm. uh, all of the inflammation you've undergone, any kind of predisposition you may have. And so the average adult MSC secretes, again, the drugs, about 100, roughly, growth factors, right, like we talked about before. The seeds, yeah. you know, to stimulate growth and quiet inflammation. Uh a year zero uh, MSC secretes over 300 growth factors. Oh. But not only that, the recipes of RNA that adult fat stem cells and bone marrow stem cells secrete are very different recipes yeah. than the recipes from a, a day zero MSC, right? What about them is different? Yeah, so because your MSCs have been responding to its environment for 40, 50, 60 years, right. that diminishes and limits their capabilities and thus really changes the recipe of the RNA. Right. right. And so when we talk about an exosome, going back to what is an exosome, yeah. if an exosome is you know in your body, it's leaving the stem cell right, with its little message, yeah. uh, our hope is, and theoretically, uh, this has been shown in the literature, the exosome is swimming around and hopefully homing, meaning that it's being drawn to whatever cell correlates to that protein on its surface, right? So that's it's kind of a, an important inference. And so once it finds its target cell, yeah. right, uh, it will either get sucked up by that cell. That process is called endocytosis. It'll mm-hmm. lock in with its proteins to that cell. Yeah. And then a lot of times that cell will engulf it. Okay. Is that that good? Bad? It's good. To a certain extent, if it's the kind of exosome that we want to be sucked up by the cell. Right. Okay. Got it. So what happens then is that little layer of fat is essentially gone because when its outside layer of fat locks into the cell's layer of fat, it absorbs it. Right. Right. Okay. So, so, So the exosome's layer of fat just gets absorbed into... That sells fat. Exactly. Okay, exactly. Mechanistically. And so then the the message is inside that cell. Right. That ex- the, the stuff that was inside the exosome. Exactly. The message is inside the cell. And so this is the most important part. Now we have a nice new recipe for a nice new drug manufacturer, right? So mm-hmm. now we're in a different cell, and that little recipe, whatever that recipe may be, will either exert its its effects to stimulate growth, mm-hmm. and it can do that in a number of ways. It can tell that cell to produce more of this growth, this pro-growth protein, okay? Mm-hmm. But really, even more novelly, what it can do is that if it's a recipe of RNA, a specific kind of, of RNA, it can actually reprogram that cell's function. So that little recipe of RNA can tell that cell to do something else. Right, so it can take it and 180 its function entirely, which if we can essentially, hopefully, eventually tune what's inside the exosome yeah. to control the effect of what the cell ends up doing next. Yeah, you know, we can essentially deliver not only drugs of any kind, proteins of any kind, uh, to treat any disease if we can really manipulate and tune the cargo of the exosome to produce a specific effect. Right, and so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what we're doing with the exosomes is we have these messages. We're putting them into the body. 
uh, in order to get these messages into your own cells to basically turn on these cells or sort of make them stimulate growth. Yeah, to a certain extent. Uh, to a certain extent, we talked about earlier those precursor cells that are in your knee, your lung, your liver. They're called progenitor cells. Do we have those everywhere until we die? Yes, okay. those are in niches all over your body. Okay, got yeah. it. And so, to a certain extent, when the exosome gets uptaken by that cell, it can wake it back up. Okay. Right? Like maybe turn it back to how it was, hopefully, when we were day zero. Right. That's the goal I of, see. of our company. Okay, and, um, and if it does do that, um, if, it, if it does do that, I mean, it, it sounds like it's helpful for the body. Of course. Well, think about in the cascade effect of how your cells operate, right? Like, once you exert a cell to do something and change its function, will you affect all the cells in that area? Okay. Right? Because it will go and, and affect its neighbors. Really? Right? It's just like having a new neighbor move into the neighborhood, right? Okay. At first, all your neighbors are horrible. Yeah. Then you have a nice one move in. Maybe they're, like, really nice, and they bring cookies to everyone. It's the same concept. Oh, shit. It sort right? of brings up the mood of the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so think about it okay. in terms of, of simplicity. Right. right? Uh, these messages, uh, and our goal as a company is to eventually really tune these messages. Yeah. Right now we're getting the messages of a, a perinatal uh, source. So we, from a healthy live birth, take the whole specimen and produce our current product. Uh, and that's the current product that we're taking uh, through studies. And, you know, you want to make sure it's safe. Yeah. Uh, you want to make sure you fully understand the mechanism of function. So things like fancy words like pharmacokinetics and biodistribution, basically just like any other drug. What happens to your body when this drug goes inside of it? How does it affect everything, right? What is the cascade of events that occurs when this exosome exerts its effect? Um, and not only that, are there risks? You know, you have to build out things like escape protocols, uh, and know how this is affecting your immune system and really every part of your body uh, in order to get anywhere close to getting something that's FDA approved, right? So at this time, this is very much investigational. Mm-hmm. Most things with stem cells are. Right. Uh, outside of what we talked about earlier, uh, stem cell transplantation for leukemia. Uh, and now what's exciting, uh, there are companies getting what are called pre-market approvals uh, with the FDA via this pathway they've created called the RMAT pathway. And so there are now, you know, a pathway created by the FDA to try to accelerate some of these therapies uh, that, you know, frankly, can't be denied to be beneficial anymore. So right, got it. Um, okay, now this this leads me to another uh, important question: Are there everyday uses for exosomes? That's our hope. Right. Okay. And so that's why, you know, right now uh, we have various clinical studies going. Uh, but you want to start with small animals, right, to make sure it's safe, like we talked about before. The biggest concern of the FDA right now is safety. Right, of course. Yeah, it should be. Disease transmission. We've all seen uh, the news lately. It's been radioactive with stem cells because people have been aggressively marketing cures Uh for something that's not validated at all. Right. right? Yeah. Um, And so that really goes back to the due diligence of the physician and the people looking to treat people with these therapies, right? Asking important questions, really simple things. Who's making it? How are they making it? What are their safety processes? Uh, you know, these are things that often get overlooked. Uh, and so there's there's certifications for these laboratories that should be there if they're even considering treating even small animals, let alone human beings. So Right. And, and as far as as far as these 
these labs go. Um, I just wanted to touch on this point. We've gotten recently a few inquiries about the regulatory concerns about exosomes. Is that uh, yeah. something you can... That's a great question. And, you know, I, we don't want to overcomplicate this too much. Yeah. Um, the FDA has released what are called its HCTP guidelines, uh, human cells and tissue products, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the way that they classify these things uh, are guidelines, right? They give guidelines to practitioners to interpret their guidelines. Okay. They've created two categories, uh, what are called the 351 category and the 361 category. Okay. Um, you can look these up on the FDA's website and read through them. Um, we feel that we're in a bit of a gray area because of how the regulations are listed. Um, yeah. It says verbatim in the regulations that cell secretions, exosomes, are unregulated. And what's interesting, as a tissue lab and manufacturer, we have to register everything that we do with the FDA. Um, we also make cell-free, sterile, filtered amniotic fluid uh, derived from the same specimens that we make the exosomes from. Right. Uh, and interestingly enough, we can check the box with the FDA for the amniotic fluid because there's a category that exists because it's a regulated biologic. Okay, um, that makes sense. However, there is no box to check for exosomes yet. Uh, the FDA now more than ever uh, is paying attention to exosomes. Uh, we, as a company, have contracted an expert entity that has walked other companies prior through this RMAT application process, and we've just completed our first initial submission, uh, which was months and months and months of work with all the things we talked about before. And so, you know, companies that are trying to interpret these, really providers trying to interpret these guidelines, there's a bit of frustration in the field uh, right now around things called homologous use and minimal manipulation, and we could go on and on about this for hours. We're not going to. Huh. Uh, but the you know you talk to twenty doctors in yeah. the room right now, and you will get twenty different answers for those terms. Why? Right? Because they're in, they're interpreting it from their point of view. So right. a guy that likes to use fat stem cells will interpret it this way. Right. A guy that likes to use bone marrow will interpret it this way. Mm-hmm. A guy that likes to use maybe warden's jelly or exosomes will interpret it another way. Right. So. Uh, it's all in the context and eye of the beholder, right? Um, we feel that it's most important for us to follow the regulatory pathway that the FDA has encouraged biotechnology companies like ourselves to pursue. And we've done just that. Uh, we are pursuing the regenerative medicine advanced therapeutic pathway. Uh, we have a primary endpoint. We built a, uh, initiate, we're initiating animal studies currently. Uh, we have one of the top research centers in the United States, uh, right here in, in Southern California. Uh, all of the, those teams of researchers um, are affiliated with UCLA. Oh, wow. uh, and then, you know, in two weeks we're speaking uh, on some of our, our pre- preclinical work in science and isolation methods uh, with large-scale entities. We're on the podium with companies backed uh, by Bain Capital and you know, affiliates with Harvard and MIT, and really, there's two categories of companies in, in I guess you could say, cell therapy or regenerative medicine. In, in my opinion, this is again my opinion, um, there are the companies that are kind of here, they are uh, making tissue of various kinds, um, but they don't necessarily have a plan towards regulatory approval. Why? Because it's very expensive. Yeah. It's extremely expensive to do controlled clinical research uh, and really 
the science and acumen and skill needed to put these applications together to even think about uh, applying for a meeting with the FDA, you need to know what you're doing. You don't want to have any stones unturned. Right. Um, and so there's this one category of companies that is falling within the guidelines of the FDA regulations. Currently, they fall in that category of probably a 361 um, because a 351 uh, means that you're claiming that you have cells, live cells. Um, and so most of the 361 companies uh, are making claims that they're a structural tissue allograft, right? What, going back to that homologous use, meaning, okay, I'm taking this kind of tissue and I'm putting it back uh, to support, cushion, and help a similar kind of tissue. Yeah. So that's compliant, right? And that is their interpretation of that. Um, and so... You know, because of the fact that we know what it takes to get a product FDA approved, uh, when you look at exosome science uh, and, and that category two of companies, right, that category two, there's only a small number of companies pursuing category two where they are pursuing the pathways of the regulatory status as laid out by the FDA. Um, Most of those are well-funded companies backed by venture capital. We're a bit of an oddball. We're opposite. We we are self-funded. We've distributed no equity or taken private investment whatsoever. Um, And so that puts in this this interesting niche uh, of self-funding our clinical studies and really partnering with clinician scientists uh, at some of the top academic institutions in the country uh, and, and other companies in, in industry that produce and publish in some of the most prestigious journals uh, in the world. So we're very fortunate uh, because of our research collaborations. Um, you know, those, those things will be exposed as more PR gets produced around uh, our research processes and regulatory pathways and kind of what we're going after uh, to help people. Okay, so I got a question about laboratories that are sort of doing this research. How do you know a good laboratory from a bad laboratory? Like, how do you know which one's actually doing good work? Or mm, That's a great question. And, and unfortunately, that's the question that I think escapes a lot of medical providers in the field that are looking to get into these types of therapies because due diligence is, is crucial when yeah. you're looking into you know, what vendor, company, manufacturer am I going to work with. Uh, unfortunately, the industry of regenerative medicine is ridden with a lot of misinformation uh, which to a lot of times no fault of their own is because of, I guess you could say middlemen. They're called white labelers. A white labeler is not a manufacturer. They don't make the product. Uh, and basically they distribute and disseminate and sell that product. And so sometimes there can be things that get a little lost in translation when you're not de- dealing directly with who's making it. Yeah. Uh, so that's one issue. Uh, the next issue is, you know, you have to have some kind of record. Right to be a legitimate laboratory or biotechnology producer uh, of any biologic or really any drug uh, to show a track record, a track record of safety, a track record of a consistent product. Uh, and those are the things that matter the most when you're going after any kind of FDA approval, right. especially with a biologic. Right. So things like standard operating procedures, things like batch records, safety records, these are the things that aren't really an option for the FDA. Right. And with that said, you need to have months of these records uh, to even apply for the certifications that are standards, with, yeah. with just by basic standards of right. laboratory practices. So recently, you and I uh, were involved in an exchange because there was a, a, a transmission sent out to a wide provider network that was claiming uh, an exosomes company that was sent a warning letter by the FDA. Um, and unfortunately uh, for us, 
because we've been around the longest commercially, Chimera Labs, I think a lot of people hear the word exosomes and think of Chimera Labs. You know, not everyone, because there's, there's other companies in this space, but uh, I think anyone in this space is getting a finger pointed at them unfairly uh, with that characterization, because that lab specifically got called out, I read the whole report, um, because of not having batch records, because of not having an on-staff medical director, because of not having standard operating procedures. And I'm, I'm assuming Chimera has all of this? Yes, so not only that, um, we have one of the top quality control experts. Um, we've contracted an expert entity to guide us through the approval process with the FDA, and they've done it before. Um, and so having a safety profile is important, but you know, for a, a lab to pop up and expect to have any kind of adoption within the first few weeks, it's just like a, starting a business. Right. It takes time. Yeah. You know? And people want to see a track record. And so I think one of the most important things about Chimera Labs is the track record, the track record of safety, the track record of production, the track record of always improving and refining the process. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that other companies in this space have popped up and, you know, they come after the big dog first. It only makes sense. Um, but, you know, we have some of the most stringent uh, and top quality quality control uh, processes, and which is the most important part of this equation. Uh, if we'd been around for five years and uh, had as many units go out the door as we had uh, and there were problems, this would have already become an issue, right? right. Because you would have already heard of, the, heard of us because of, because of adverse events. So um, I think obviously a big part of the realm is marketing. You know, we saw, I think, all with the catastrophe that happened with pathogen outbreaks that were all over the news. Uh, that had a lot to do with lack of uh, due diligence on the provider side and really great marketing, right? You know, uh, really great marketing will sell just about anything, right? Uh, and so, unfortunately, those processes that we talked about were not being followed at those manufacturers. And again, the actual company that disseminated those products was not the same as the company making those products, right? So, important to draw that distinction. So, um, even in, even if you got a company over here that makes makes a great product and it's completely safe, if that provider isn't doing it right. Then it can lead to problems. Is that well? That's another great point. You know, I mean, the the product is only as good as the hands that it's in, ah. right? And so this is crucial, especially we're going after our primary endpoint, which is trigeminal neuralgia or craniofacial neuralgia, basically any neuropathic based facial pain that's nerve nerve focus of the head for a reason, uh, because there's a lot of literature there supporting neural regeneration with exosomes. Uh, the concept makes sense, but also the hands that put the needle into the nerve or around the nerve are experts. Right. That's not something that even some of the most prestigious physicians that do x-ray or what's called fluoroscopy needle guidance could not do this because you need what's called a, an expert in interventional ultrasound diagnostic because ultrasound allows you to see the fascial planes and get a dynamic closer look, whereas x-ray is, is fixed static, uh, and it's more difficult to see muscle, soft tissue, nerves uh, to a greater extent. So, again, it's it's not always about the soup of what's in the vial. That's very important, right. obviously. But what's equally important is... Just as important, right. if not, not as, as just. Right. So. Got it. Um, I have one more question. Uh, if you look up chimera and exosomes, you see a picture of a man. I don't know if you can see this on camera, but... Uh, you see this picture of a man, he got his face second degree burns, and then within a few weeks, 
I mean, he he looks better according to the photo. Right. Is that something you can? And if you actually look re- much much closer, his pore size is actually drastically diminished pre and post as well. Oh yeah. So uh, this gentleman was African American. He was really close friends with our inventor founder. Uh, he had a gasoline fire explode into his face. Yeah. Uh, so he had third degree burns on his face. Uh, at that time, Duncan was still kind of getting things off the ground. Um, our inventor founder, and he had these uh, cell secretions from cells that he was culturing because at the time he had an IRB-approved uh, protocol, meaning that he had gone through the proper regulatory channels to get an academic institution or an affiliate to approve his protocol, which was at the time for COPD, using uh, fat-derived stem cells, like oh. we talked about before. Uh, and so he had supernatant left over from some cells that he had been culturing. Supernatant means the other stuff in the dish, not the cells. So the stuff that the cells were making, right? And he had a bunch frozen. So at the time, you know, his friend was in a, a condition where we call it um, compassionate care, right? That means that uh, he's in a, a dire situation. And like a lot of people out there, maybe had exhausted other options uh, that would be considered mainstream or frontline options. Uh, and he needed an alternative. And so Duncan had, at the time, topically applied uh, those cell secretions to Garrett's face, uh, and a company was kind of born, right? Because when you think about, theoretically, what we talked about earlier, that little recipe of RNA, if it's coming from a baby, year zero, day zero, uh, the average adult produces roughly four to five types of collagen, okay? And so, however, a perinate, or a year zero source produces over 20 kinds of collagen, right? So not only would you be getting a more robust profile of and types of collagen, uh, but the way that those little bubbles of collagen, the proteins and different substances inside of the exosomes, interact with the cells that they're trying to suppress the inflammation and stimulate growth of new healthy collagen, the delivery vehicle is much more efficient. Because you think about a drug... A big problem with pharmaceutical drugs is the delivery mechanism. We all take a pill. Right. right? What does a pill do? It goes into your digestive system. A lot of that pill is lost between the intestines and on the tract, and it's degrading while it's going in and being absorbed. Right? Think about a natural drug delivery mechanism that your own body makes. Uh, Eventually, Chimera Labs, uh, you know, in the laboratory, in a dish, we've already synthesized the ability to tune exosomes to target specific cells and stimulate cartilage growth, Hmm. stimulate neuron growth, stimulate heart cell growth. So all these different things, again, if it matters where the exosome is coming from, that kind of cell, and the environment of that cell when it makes it, you can manipulate the environment of a specific cell to produce a very specific kind of exosome. Right. And those exosomes need to undergo much more rigorous, you know, animal model studies and clinical trials. Uh, but, you know, Chimera Labs has plans for the future to burgeon into that market as well it's for alternative therapeutics outside of the current product that we're trying to take through the FDA. Right. Awesome. Well, uh, that's all the questions I had. Guys, I uh, hope you learned a lot. I sure did. And, uh, Adam, yeah, thanks for coming, man. Cheers. All right, cheers. All right, see you guys next time. Hey, man, do you want more energy, more focus, and to just feel alive again? My name is Dustin Wolf, president of Novus, and if you've ever been told that your testosterone is within range and you're experiencing these symptoms, it probably isn't. Wouldn't you want someone to help you, a certified hormone specialist? Well, we can do that. 
If you go to NovoMail.com, fill out the information, someone is going to contact you who's going to help. A certified hormone specialist who can come up with an amazing plan to get rid of these symptoms, right? You're going to have more energy. Your libido is going to go through the roof, right? Your focus is going to come back. You're going to sleep. All these amazing things that you experienced when you were younger are going to come back. So go to NovoMail.com, fill out the form, and someone will contact you within just a few minutes. See you soon.